If you're an implementation person and you love implementing, that's awesome because you don't have to do, you don't have to learn the people skills. You don't have to become a leader, so on and so forth. And you can still land jobs. Like I looked at the Facebook, you know, E6, it's 525 grand a year. And you don't have to be anything other than you are, which is, you know, like you can just do what you love doing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Artists of Data Science podcast, the only self-development podcast for data scientists. You're going to learn from and be inspired by the people, ideas, and conversations that'll encourage creativity and innovation in yourself so that you can do the same for others. I also host Open Office Hours. You can register to attend by going to bitly.com forward slash A-D-S-O-H. I look forward to seeing you all there. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review. Our guest today is a data business coach, career coach, speaker, and author who helps data professionals transform into world-class leaders and data entrepreneurs. She's earned a bachelor's of science in environmental engineering and has been a licensed professional engineer since 2013. She's the creator of five data science courses on LinkedIn learning and the author of four books published by Wiley and Sons, including Data Science for Dummies. Her work has gotten featured in magazines like Forbes, Fortune, National Geographic, Washington Post, and dozens of other publications. And just like us, she knows what it's like to dream of using data to make a positive, lasting impact on the world, but having to face the reality of feeling like a cog in yet another mindless money-making machine because she's been there before. So please help me in welcoming our guest today, a woman who has helped over 1 million data scientists learn the game and move up the ranks, Lillian Pearson. Lillian, thank you so much for taking time to come onto the show and just really, really excited to get to know you a little bit better. So where'd you grow up and what was it like there? Okay. So I grew up in, I was born in Orlando, Florida, and then I grew up from like seven to 14 in Southern California. Um, And then from 14 to like 20, 23, 24 in Austin. So all of these places were in the South, I guess you could say that's about the only similarity really. And they were high tech ish. There was high tech stuff going on my stepfather. So that was part of growing up was being, um, moving around, following the tech jobs. And yeah, I would say that all of all those places, like in terms of my personality and free spiritedness, uh, that was an influence of Austin, but in terms of like my values, because I'm pretty like conservative and like family oriented and stuff. I think that more comes from like Orlando. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, Austin is a really, really awesome place. Actually, I'm, I'm from California originally, like born and raised in Sacramento, and I spend several years, like six or seven years in Southern California as well, mostly in like the Orange County area. Yeah. Whereabouts were you? I miss it. Okay, so I lived uh, several years in Irvine, and then we moved over to El Toro. Oh, so nice. that was kind of my little area, yeah. And God, it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. My... um. My mother, she wanted to try, she would try to keep me out of trouble by allow, by um, getting me horse. And so I got into the competitive equestrian scene in California and like, which is like a toilet for money, but it was so wonderful. It's like the best in the world. Yeah. Um, it was so, it was such an incredible way to grow up and I had training all the time. So I got a, a lot of intense, like It was good for my personality, which is like, I'm really pretty intense person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like that horse equestrian culture is pretty huge in California. Like my grandma lives in the country-ish little, well, it's not country anymore, but it used to be, it's called Elk Grove, California. 
And her next door neighbor was raising horses. So they had like six, seven horses that they would raise for these equestrian uh, yeah. activities. So when you're in high school, what did you think your future would look like? Oh, gosh. Well, okay. So I did some pretty cool things in high school. Um, I thought I was going to be a chemist by the, like at the end of high school. And I did um, a few summers in a undergraduate research program. And even in high school, I did that over in Houston. And so I thought I was going to be a chemist. And I then, liked chemistry. Yeah, how that transition happened into data science? Like, so from, because <laughs> I mean, that's not a lot, a whole lot of data going on in chemistry, right? So you went from chemistry to environmental engineering, which is kind of, kind of <laughs> on the same path. Well, yeah, they were talking. Okay, so data science came out as a for as like a a discipline, like a real formal discipline, back in I guess 2012, right? When I was doing chemistry hardcore in Texas, that was 1998. So there's that's a big gap. <laughs> that's like a really big gap. And in chemistry, though, no, I did do a lot. There is a lot of like for my research and stuff, I kind of tell like this is my quote unquote origin story for working with the data analytics. I had to replace a hydrogen atom on nucleate, eight different types of nucleic acids. Oh, you know this stuff. So I'm trying to think of what they're, they were called there. You know, there's four RNAs and then four DNAs, right? So there's, um, they're not all nucleic. Some are anyway. I had to replace the hydrogen atom with deuterium and I had to use organic chemistry to do it. However, I didn't know organic chemistry because I was 17 and I had an NMR machine was like 600 megahertz. And so I could use that to see like the percentage exchange of the hydrogen atom to figure out how well I was doing. And I had a book and I could kind of just like trial and error and I did it. And so they're still using these nucleosides and nucleotides today. You know, and that was a long ass time. So that was my first real glimpse at like just how powerful data analytics could be. Because just having that intel, I didn't know anything about organic chemistry, but just the data, you know, it was enough to help me figure out the rest. Yeah, that's freaking awesome because like I've like I know like some some family members have gone through like those undergraduate programs in chemistry and like organic chemistry is always like the class they hate the most. They're just like, oh my God, oh, oh Cam, like that stuff is uh, brutal. So when you're making that transition then into data science, so you, were you learning all this stuff on your own? Were you just like, all right, I'm interested in it. I just want to figure this stuff out. Cause I can, I can imagine back in like the 2010s, 2013s, there probably wasn't an ecosystem for learning like there is today, right? There was, there was literally, well, there was the one course, it was the Andrew Ning course on Coursera data science. And I took it with this guy. We were going to do it together. Henry Norick, I think you know him and another guy. And, but the course was not, <laughs> it was not like user-friendly. It was not a night. It was kind of like a weed out course and it made it really hard and complicated. So I didn't really, I was just like, if eh, whatever. And I got some, what I did instead to learn data science is I pieced together all of the component pieces that I needed. And I asked my job, you know, like I asked them for training on Python uh, for the work I was doing. And then once I knew how to script things and I asked them for training on statistics for spatial analytics. So it was like, they gave me training on all of the subtopics. And then once I had it, they like, there, there were tons of use cases. So I got to use it, but um, there weren't classes. And so, and I, so that's why I really like, I don't know if you know, Kirill, Kirill's courses on Udemy. Yeah. I've seen and, a few of those. And I have courses on LinkedIn, but he had his first and like those courses, they make it like pretty straightforward. You know, you can't be, I think you probably still need a STEM degree and have pretty like solid background in, in math and in analysis, but it's not like a weed out course. Right. And it doesn't need to be that, that it was kind of exclusive, I guess, like the stuff that was out there was either like really, really, really technical or kind of like just not that welcoming <laughs> yeah and i think nowadays it's like important to understand that actually 
it's yeah great it's technical stuff but at the end of the day dude you're working for a business like you've got to make money for the business and they don't really care how fancy your models or algorithms or whatever technology you're using is they just want results either make the money or save the money right so I think now it's a well, yeah, you're preaching to the choir on that yeah. one. Yeah, I'm excited because, you know, you've covered very, very uh, a niche that I really like that I've been wanting to to see more of happening. And we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I mean, somehow along the way, you you moved to a tropical, beautiful paradise <laughs> island. Like, tell us about that. You how did the, your how, homework. Yeah, yeah. How did this happen? Like, I mean, that's so cool. Well, I I had already, you know, once I decided I was going to start my own business and then I built that business while I had my day job and was teaching myself data science all at the same time. And then after a few years, I was able to qualify and get my professional engineering license. I was waiting for experience to qualify for that. Once I had taken the test, I was like out of there. And I did the whole digital nomad thing for a while, but then I was single and it was just kind of like, it's just, it wasn't all that it looks like it's going to be, you know, as far as and being fulfilled, it was actually kind of sad. I felt sad because I wasn't happy. And it was like, you have everything you could ever want. So I gave this island who I've been here once before. It's Kosamoy. It's my favorite place on earth. And I said, okay, I'm willing to spend, you know, as much money as I would living in the States. I'll go check out this place. And so it was like my last shot before I like moved back to the United States. And then I moved here and it's just been wonderful. But I had to try out a few places that just weren't really like I was in Peru for longer than I wanted to be. And how's that like with uh, like, are your kids enjoying living there as well in like a bit? It must be a bit of a culture shock for them or, or were they born there and they're just kind of used to, to just living? In yeah, Paris? my daughter. I met my husband here. So that's. One of the big, I was already thinking of leaving because it was just being single and like traveling the world is kind of lonely, but I met him here and then we had my daughter. She was born here. So <laughs> she's a third culture kid. That's really interesting. Third culture kid. I've never heard that terminology, but that makes so much sense. Right. So that's, that's so yeah. cool. So thank you. So what, like I was saying, there's one niche that you are covering that I think doesn't get enough recognition or I don't know, maybe not recognition, not the right word, but let me rephrase it this way. There's everybody wants to talk about how to break into data science, right? Everybody's talking <laughs> about breaking into data science and that's, you know, people are cannibalizing that market, but there's not many people talking about, okay, great. You're in data science. Let's make you a leader now. And how do we do that? You're really focused on that with your content and your courses and what you're doing. And I think that's huge because Great. Everyone wants to tell us how to get into data science, but there's nothing around telling us what we need to do to like make it to the top. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, some of the career mistakes you see early data scientists make. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is what you just discussed of thinking about thinking that the actual tech part of it is the part that's going to get you ahead. And don't get me wrong. Okay. Backing up, let's just back up. Okay, so because this is something that I am just coming to understand or new now. If you're an implementation person and you love implementing, that's awesome because you don't have to do, you don't have to learn the people skills, you don't have to become a leader, so on and so forth. And you can still land jobs. Like I looked at the Facebook, you know, E6, it's 525 grand a year. And you don't have to be anything other than you are, which is, you know, like you can just do what you love doing, right? So I used to think that it was a mistake for people to just, you know, isolate and focus like so much on the like technical details and everything. But now I realize that that's actually, you know, like that that path can take a person just as far as if they branch off and go into more of like product and leadership and, and stuff like that. It's just that if you're not satisfied with that, with the, like for me, I don't want to be implementing, like doing the detailed stuff. I never have, I've always been like a systems design person, someone who's looking at strategies and systems and like not so much into the processes and stuff. So if that's your personality, then thinking that you have to spend, I think this is one of the big, big mistakes, thinking that you have to spend 
10 years, 15 years, like hashing it out with all of the implementation details until you're good enough to become a leader and to start like leading these big projects. That is like wasting really, really valuable time because you don't have to like go that deep into it. Yes, you have to understand and all that. But yeah, so I would, it just depends on a person, you know, someone's personality. And I really don't do much to help implementation people besides, okay, I've got these courses, but my focus is more in like helping people understand, like with data science, there are so many different ways that you can create impact in in transformations in businesses and people's lives, you know, that implementation is one of them. Yeah. A big one. It's that's all that resonates with me so much because I'm like you're kind of describing the type of data scientist I am. Like, yeah, I, I know the technical stuff. I could do the, the coding if I want, but it's not like my favorite part of the job. Like I like more framing the problem, making impact for business and, you know, getting down and dirty, heading the code all day. Like that to me, that's not like a fun day, right? Uh, to me, it's more with this strategy stuff. And, and I've got an initiative at work that I'm doing now. It's first time I've ever done anything like this. And it's like, I'm a completely fish out of water. Here I am as a statistician, data scientist. And now they're like, we need you to help us make a data strategy for this massive organization, which is really one organization made up of like 14 other organizations. And it's just like, oh, by the way, I've got a data strategy action plan. I used to do technical strategies for U.S. Navy and all this stuff. And then I did data strategies. So... (laughs) By the way, I have a data strategy action plan, which is like a step-by-step check planner for how you do a data strategy from, you know, all the way so that you don't like miss some of the big details because you really do need to like get into, go very wide into the business to see what that optimal use case is. And then you got to like find like all of the potential problems. So there's a lot to consider, but yeah, strategy is fun, man. I wish... I wish it's I had more time to hard. do projects like that. It's so, it's hard though, right? Cause it's, it's so, it's nebulous in a sense. I, at least yeah, I feel like it, like I'm brand new to it. I'm definitely going to be looking for your data strategy guide and I'll be sure to link out to that into show notes. But for me, it's like, I'm putting together notes from like, I got this book, modern data strategy. I've got another book here. I've got data management toolkit. And I'm like, I'm reading all these books and just trying to see what other people are doing. And still it's like, man, like, this is, it's tough. It's not easy because nobody really, nobody, this is not something that you can be taught. Like you can't be taught how to create a data strategy, but you can learn how to do it. And you're learning how to do it by putting yourself through a gauntlet. Does that make sense? Yeah. I would say that you can be taught. There is, because I teach, I don't teach that because I don't have a course on that, but I have that product I'm telling you about, Mm -hmm. which is literally step-by-step And then it comes with the use cases and it comes with all of the tools, like the tools that you would need within each of the steps and stuff like that. So can it be taught? Yeah. Strategy can be taught. And let me tell you, yeah, strategy, because like, um, so this is what, you know, Deloitte and McKinsey and all these guys are doing. And it's, I'm sure there are classes for it. I learned strategy. I learned how to do technical strategy as an engineer because we were a consulting engineering firm and it was a small company. So I had to learn how, you know, just the process. Um, but yeah, it can totally be taught. And can, can we, can we get like a high level overview of like, let's say if, uh, like maybe the, the, the single most important thing to, or the mindset to adopt when we're creating a data strategy, um, what would you say that is when we're starting out and they're like, Hey, we need you to Single do data. Most. Yeah. Yeah. So you probably heard this already, but you want to identify a quick win. So in my, I have a um, Facebook data strategy club. I kind of pulled people. What's a quick win? Well, something that's actually increasing profits, you know, like either by saving money or creating new revenues within three months would be a quick win. So don't like do the whole kit and caboodle, you know, like the big showy thing that everyone's like, oh, we want to be so fancy. Um, Do the one that do the use case that's practical and is going to get you the biggest bang for your buck in that short amount of time and implement it in a small unit. And that's going to then 
in a small business unit. That is, once you have that small success, you can look at it and make sure, you know, decide, okay, do we want to take this effort and scale it across the company? Or do we want to add a, a different use case, um, another use case on top of this? Do we want to experiment with a different use case? Um, but once you get success and that with the quick win, you're going to get the buy-in of managers. Once they see that it's not going to be a waste of money and time, that's going to help a lot. That's the biggest thing because a lot, I mean, strategy is so essential. It's like, anyway, I could go on and on. Oh, like I would love to love to hear you go on about (laughs) it because this is like something that I'm so into now because it's such an essential part of of my job now. And and I'm just, like a, a sponge willing to learn anything. So uh, happy, happy. <laughs> you want me to share my framework with you? Yeah. Could, that would be awesome if, if you can give us. Sure. A yeah, of course. Okay. So you want, I call this the star framework and it's for evergreen data strategies. This framework works for all types of data strategies though, not just evergreen. So the first stage of any data strategy plan building information should be surveying the industry looking around at all of the use cases and case studies and what's happening across industry to kind of see, because these are the recipes. These are what's possible for you. You need to start like first getting an idea of, okay, because you already have a basic idea of what's available to you in terms of technologies and resources and skill sets. Then you say, okay, look around, see like, what are these, you know, what are kind of results other companies are getting with these use cases? And you start trying just throwing these ideas around and collect some use cases that you think, okay, these look like they might be decent. (laughs) And then you would go in to the second phase, which is taking stock and inventory of your company as it is today. The strategic consultants like to call this current state. So you go and you got to high and low through every nook and cranny. If you're doing it enterprise-wide, like it sounds like you're doing, you really want to look high and low through your company and look at all types of issues and problems, things that came up in the past, potential problems you know based based on your subject matter expertise, people problems. Um, you got to take stock of like, what skill sets do we have on hand? Because these play a part in when you pick a use case, the skill sets you need to, you, you probably don't, unless you have a ton of budget, you're going to have to tr- skill some, train some people up. So you have to like know what skill sets you're working with in terms of what do people around in the business have? I mean, there's just like, so I've got a whole laundry list of things you have to go through. And then you get all of this documentation. You got to do interviews, surveys. You just, you know, the whole kitchen sink, throw it all in there. You get this whole stack, (laughs) stack of documentation. And then you spend a good week or two weeks just going over it, making sense and trying to understand, connect all the dots. And then looking at the use cases and saying, okay, here's what we have. Here's our liabilities. Here are potential wins here based on what we have. And here is like, and then you have got to go and look for more use cases to like maybe more, um, maybe the first set of use cases you got weren't like very compatible with the technology you have now. So then you have to look closer at the use cases and say like, okay, can I find a use case? Can I find a case study? Someone who used our technology and got this like go deeper into the tech specs and stuff like that. And after all of that, you get out like maybe, you know, I would take like three or four use cases and like pit them up against one another and do an alternatives analysis and say, okay, like which one of these is with all of the things I know about my company, which is now a lot, kind of like do a, like, a, oh, you're, I love this, that you're a statistician. Do I love multi-criteria decision-making? <laughs> Um, but you can use any sort of tool and you just pick your use case and then you got to go into the actual plan building. And that is going to be like everything from beginning to end on like from cradle to grave. How do we implement this? What number one, though, what are the metric? Like, what are the success metrics? Like, how, what do we expect in 
three weeks. You've got to like really map those out your milestones because you need to be able to make sure that you're on target. And if you're not to adjust, then you can, after all of that and the planning and then the reference architecture and all of that, you have to kind of know a bit about data engineering as well. Then you can make a plan and, 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 and implement, but then, you know what I'm saying? So that is my... <laughs> Absolutely well, that's, that. that's a big nutshell, but <laughs> oh, that's, that's so, so helpful to me, especially because I'm, I'm in this phase right now where I'm doing the questions phase and the questions is like, that's challenging to come up with questions because I don't, I don't know exactly what answer I'm trying to get out of my question is like, I'm asking questions to try to figure out what are some business drivers? What are some pain points that the organization is facing? And it's hard to come up with the right phrasing for a question because you don't want just a question that'll give you either a yes or no or a one word answer is you want to ask questions that encourage some type of dialogue, right? So you can get more information from your stakeholders. So are you saying for interviews or for, um, for, for interviews with like executive stakeholders to, okay. To kind of figure out what their needs yeah. are so we can come up with the adequate strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you already know who you already know that like, yeah, it just takes time. There's yeah. so many different people that you really, if it's just for them, like say you're building them a dashboard, a decision-making dashboard or something, then it's a little easier because you don't have to take into account like multiple users across, but it does sound like you're doing many different divisions and they are just one set of stakeholders, okay. which is another thing you have to account for when you're planning is like your UI design. You've got to design different aspects of your UI for a different, you've got to educate people like, you know, in terms of like, how to not only how to use there's so much yeah i know but that's why it's it's so it's fun and it's it's exciting and it's just like a daunting task the strategy stuff which which i'm, I'm but it's, know, fun. it's fun i know i could i could do it and i think it's something that data scientists should start to move towards if they want to get to like that chief level right do you think that's kind of what we should yeah for sure about? Yeah. For sure. Like, yeah, if you're a data scientist and you know you don't want to do implementation details, then there and you're looking for your next path forward, there are really two things you can do. You can work doing strat, you know, like to get higher up in terms of the totem pole <laughs> that's what you're looking for, then you need to go more into strategy and leadership and project management or product management sort of things. Or you start your own business, which is what I did. Yeah. <laughs> So, that, I mean, and that's kind of like the highest form of leverage, right, is starting your own business. So talk to us about what a day in the life of a data entrepreneur is like. <laughs> well, it um, it's just like any, well, well, actually with COVID now, it's not much different, I don't think, than a day in the life is really variable in what season in the business we're in. We're in. So just like anything else, there's going to be times where you a period of exertion, right? I'm in one of those right now and it's not that easy, but I'm doing a lot of self-care to like feel good and still enjoy life. I feel like I fit in. I feel like I belong so much more now, like with the COVID and having like this lifestyle I have, like, I feel like everyone's now in my boat. <laughs> it's not as much of like you're the black sheep, <laughs> but it's just like anything else. So right now we're in extreme I'm under extreme pressure to get just a lot of things done. So I've turned everything over to my business, basically over to my integrator. And I've got a lot of team members helping and I just get done what I can. Right. So that's going up the hill. I am building momentum. I am pushing this thing up the hill. Right. And then after it gets up the hill, I'm going to chill, you know, and we probably get some resort and who knows, maybe travel. That's what we do, which like whatever. And it's going to roll down the hill and I'm going to get a lot of rewards from all of this friggin' hard work. And it's going to be like, yeah, living the dream, so on and so forth. And then it's going to kind of slow down a little bit and that's going to be fine. But then it's going to feel boring and stagnant and like I need to grow more. So then I'm going to start again, pushing harder and harder and harder and pushing it back up the hill. And so like it's just been like that for many years now. I like that because I'm starting to do. Let me, I've only done this podcast for a year, so I'm, I'm kind of relating to what you're saying in terms of these uh, periods of exertion, because I, I'm definitely in one right now, just because I've got, you know, after you, the entire month of April, like this is not going to be released for a while, but 
in April, I've got like 12 or 13 interviews lined up, which is it's a lot of work, a lot of books to read. Can we talk a little bit about self-care and, and what you're doing? Because like, yes. I, like, I, like I, I was going through some real burnouts like in, in February of this year, like, like really cynical about everything, just like not having it, just completely tired. Didn't matter how much I slept, couldn't sleep it off. So what are you mm-hmm. doing in, in these stressful times to help yourself kind of stay balanced and, and relaxed and, and able to, yeah. to push through? Totally. I can talk about that. So important. The thing is, is that there's no amount of money that anyone can throw at you that can buy back, buy your happiness, right? You've got like, first and foremost, you've got to feel happy in what you're doing because the money, once you have enough of it, like they can't give you enough to buy that back if you lose your happiness. So what I do is I just always pay attention to how I feel. And if I feel like really unhappy, I need to adjust something and I need to look at what do I need right now to feel better. And a lot of times, you know, for me, I do meditation sometimes in the morning. I've got some mindset course thing that I listen to some videos. Sometimes it's just when it's a really hard day, it's breaking it up and being like, okay, you know, you give yourself only three things you have to do in a day, not like, 50, you know, and then like celebrate, okay, got one done and you check it off. And then you, what do you like to do? Maybe you like to go to have a coffee, maybe you, whatever it is that feels good to you and give yourself that treat to just feel really good in the daytime. And then just go back and do the one more thing. Absolutely. Love and, that. um, absolutely. Love yeah. That. Cause <laughs> I, I would, when I first started doing all this stuff, like I've got a lot on my plate, I would just say, all right, this week I want to get done a hundred things. And then I'd beat myself up because I didn't accomplish some stuff. And now it's like, I'm real simple now. I've, I've got just, I, I plan my week out every Sunday and I've got a little to-do list and that's great. Only four boxes every day and that's it. Right. And you know, some things I got to move, some things I got to cross off because I didn't get to it, whatever. It goes to the backlog. I'll get to it another time. Like the world is not going to end. How are you you managing your time um, on a on a day to day basis? Do you have like tools or or hacks? Yeah, or yeah. Hacks? I actually have been covering this uh, recently with some of my nurture content. Um, one thing is okay. So you got to like one thing I've realized recently. You got to treat yourself like I've got team members, right? I've got some good ones, and I don't want them to quit. So the last thing I want to do is overwhelm them with a bunch of stuff make them unhappy and want to quit. But do I do that to myself? Oh no. I want to give myself 50 things. I want to write the book, update the course, manage 10 team members, um, create YouTube videos. Like Lillian needs to just freaking do it. I'm not that nice to myself, like by nature, but then I end up feeling like, and as an entrepreneur, it's really dumb because it's like, I'm a slave to my own vision when I'm living like that. My, you know, I'm a slave to myself. So a few weeks ago, I set up a whole Gantt chart. So I manage, you know, have project managers, but then I like to get in there. So I Gantt chart out to June, all these things. And I got one week into it because I had every day planned out until June to get like what I needed done. And that felt so oppressive. I couldn't sleep at night. almost like, because the days were planned. It was like so. I got one week into it and I had pretty much like a little nervous breakdown. And I was like, I don't want to live like this. You know, I don't care. Like I really, it doesn't matter. I don't want to live like this. So I turned it all over to, I turned it all over to my integrator. I was like, Hey, here you go. Um, I got to focus on one thing right now, one thing at a time, which is the book course, the book, how I do it. I wish I could show you. I could show you actually, but I do this thing where we have post-it notes. I have post-it notes here and it's on a whiteboard and there's only so many you can fit vertically, like three or four. Like a Kanban kind of board, right? Like to, Yeah. To yeah. Be... And then like, mm-hmm. and like this week, you know, there's like four post-it notes. These are the things I got to get done this week. There's four things. It's not that overwhelming, but then when I wake up in the morning, my day is not actually planned. I know 
what needs to get done this week? And I can like lean into like my heart. And I know that sounds really like woo woo and I'm not even focused in this, in this thing, but um, lean into where, you know, like do meditation, lean into how I'm feeling my creative energy and what I really want to put out in the world today and pick something off of that list that feels good. Cause that is going to be the content. That is going to be the thing that's going to set, you know, set everything on fire is if you're activated and if you're in yourself and grounded in your purpose while you're working, while you're creating. So I, my goal is to stay in that state. So I give myself a lot of leeway. No, I like that a lot. Not woo-woo at all, because I mean, this is the only self-improvement podcast for data scientists. So my audience okay. is, is used to, I mean, they're, they're a special breed of audience, I think, that listens to this podcast. And these are the people who are trying to just become better versions of themselves, not necessarily just all about the technical stuff and just want all that nerdy talk. But I wonderful. Love- okay. Yeah. Then this is right. This is where it's at because yeah. you want to like, when you're ta- when you're turned in to your purpose, in your mission in this world. And like for most of us, if once you get past the, like, I want to make more money, like, okay, first people need to make more money. Once you have enough money, then you're like, okay, I want to have esteem. I want other people to think I'm cool. So then I can get more opportunities, which then actually comes back to money. But once you've had enough of that and it's still like not making you that happy, then it's like, well, okay. So for me, it's like, what do I want to, when I die at the end of my life, what, what do I want to have? Like, my life to have been about, you know, and for me, that's like impacting, you know, like, how do we, anyway, I could really go into like deep stuff for, yeah, like, dude, let's, the, I mean, if you, I'm a hundred percent down to go there. Cause I'm all about this as well. Like, uh, so I, I journal a lot every morning. I do like the, the morning pages, the artist way morning so pages. Cool. Uh, so I do like four different types of journals. So I could show you them. I've got this, the, the artist way journal right here. And this is just free form every morning, three pages, just whatever's on my mind, just to write three pages straight. And then I got this other journal, which is my philosophical reflections. And this, I'll just t- take like a philosophical quote. For me, it's mostly stoic philosophy and I'll just digest it and reflect on it. And then I've got a uh, the six minute journal here. And this is cool. I don't know if you've heard of the six minute journals, but this one, it gives you a prompts. So it'll be, so you do three, three entries in the morning, three entries in the evening. So it'll be, what am I grateful for? This is how I'll make today great, a positive affirmation. And then at the end of the day, my good deed today, how I'll improve and then great things I experienced. And this is like just, and then also it's another, really helpful. Like a, a, and then another journal, which is just a one line journal uh, every day. So yeah, it, it's wow. helping. Writing has been very therapeutic for me, just getting stuff out of my head and just it makes mm-hmm. it so much more tranquil and, and calm. But one thing I like that uh, you're talking about, because it's the, the thing is you have to experiment what works for you, right? You, you have exactly. to experiment because I was doing Brendan Bruchard's high performance calendar for a while. And that was like super rigid. Like you have to plan out every hour, every day. And I'm like, man, I, that's not me, dude. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't yeah. right? Like I can't have every hour of my day planned out like that. I just, let me just that's have a few horrible. things, right? Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love this. And, and so how did you figure out what worked for you? Like, did you have to try a lot of different things before you found I a did. way that worked for you? I did. I tried a lot of different things, honestly. Time blocking is a fa- Yeah. I've tried a lot of different things. I've taken a lot of business coaching, so I learned different methods there, but Honestly, what I figured out, this thing with my whiteboard over here that works for me, I actually figured that out by working, like I was looking at if I had to manage a data team, manage a product. Uh, Actually, it was part of a product that I had winning with data, which is no longer for sale. But I encouraged people to map out their projects, their data projects with a whiteboard and these little cards and put out the like incremental steps required for project success. So you like you build a whole plan strategy for a successful project and you map it out and you put it on your office wall or behind you if you're in Zoom meetings so that 
one, you see what you're working on and how it actually is impacting the business, like in the bigger picture. So you can feel like more rooted in purpose instead of like caught in the details. And then two, people will ask, like, particularly business managers or anyone who is like actually interested in the bigger picture stuff is probably going to come and talk to you about that. And it's going to give you a, a way, a segment to start a conversation, a leadership focused conversation with them and build that relationship. So I built, I had the, you know, the thing and people were doing it and actually is, I got some, you know, people had some good successes, the ones that were dedicated enough to work through the whole winning with data thing, which was way too big. But I started using that same thing in my wall here and then it actually worked really well. So that's how I figured it out. Just like, that's my thing have to experiment, right? Like you can't just think somebody's methodology is going to work for you. And, you know, you can't beat yourself up. If you try something and it doesn't work, then that's cool. Just use that as a signal to figure out something else that works. And it sounds like you've really gotten to a good, good flow of, of managing everything that's on your plate. And I think that's really, really awesome and, and admirable. One thing you talked about there was, was coaching. That's something I've been trying to explore. Um, I was talking to a, a friend of mine on the podcast as well. You might know him. He's on LinkedIn, Jonathan Tesser. Uh, he's he's a data guy that doesn't really post about data, but we're talking about the loneliness of self-improvement, like this loneliness of this journey of self-development, self-improvement. Like it's it's like it's hard work that you do mostly on your own. And I was thinking about getting a coach. I don't know if that's the right choice for me because I feel like I'm I feel like I've got it all figured out. But then it's sometimes like, dude, I don't know that I do have it all figured out. So how's your experience been working with, with the coach? What's your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, it's been a game changer. So that's, yeah, it's, it, this is like my bread and butter stuff now is coaching myself. And the reason that is, is because like I went from just struggling, trying to figure out everything all on my own because I'm quote unquote smart to working with, I've worked with a lot of different coaches and just like overnight, just pick out overnight things improving for my business to the point, like just, it's just incredible how much it's helped me um, in terms of working with business coaches. Now, some of my business coaches talked about mindset, but the thing that I really like is business coaching some of them have been more mindset focused than others. And I tend to gravitate towards that because I really like the money is great and I want to build a really incredible business. Right. But not at the cost of happiness and freedom. <laughs> and so I gravitate towards people who have a really strong mindset practice and are also business coaches, but for you, what, so are you looking like, maybe you need a mindset coach. Yeah. I've, I got a bunch of mentors from distance and I've like from a distance and I've enrolled in a bunch of courses. Uh, Impact Theory University is the big one. I'm a huge Tom Bilyeu fan and he's got this platform that's business coaching and mindset coaching, but it's not like one-on-one -on -one coaching. It's just modules that get put out and then a group call every week, which is cool. And I really enjoy it. Like I'm all about like, like mindset. Are you stuff. doing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is my second. So you year. have a coach already. You're yeah. saying, cause it's not one-on-one. -on -one? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a bunch of people that I watch from a distance, right? Like, like Tom Bill, yeah. um, Naval Ravikant is another huge uh, mentor of mine, James Altisher, who I got to interview for my show. So I've got some people from a distance that I watch, but, but I, like, I don't really have anybody to talk to about the self-development or self-improvement journey with. When I start talking to people about it, they're just looking at me like, dude, like, Let's just shut up and drink your beer, man. Let's just talk about. Yeah. Sports, right? Yeah, I get it. So I totally get it. And I'm in the same boat. So what I would tell you is if you want to work one-on-one -on -one with people, I hired someone who's great, like this woman. I worked one-on-one -on -one with her. She's amazing. As you know, for what she does, she's amazing. But as a business coach, even though she can grow an incredible business, I actually lost a lot of time and made some missteps that I wouldn't have made because I hired her and she wasn't really a business coach, but she said she would do the coaching. So what I would say is you want to have a mentor that is really, no, you know, that's focused on whatever it is, like if you're looking for mindset or career or business, um, you want to have someone that's actually a badass, that actually that is their bread and butter, right? Now, the other thing is that 
business coach, like good ones, like my business coach is two, it's $2,000 an hour when I signed up and not even an hour, 40 minutes. And now I think that's five grand. So like, yes, yes. This person absolutely knows what they're talking about, but I can't afford, you know, I'm not, I'm not making enough money to be able to afford to be in that accelerator. Uh, when I am, I would probably join. But the advice I've heard is you want to hire, uh, find a mentor or a coach that's two steps ahead of you. Then also make sure you find a mentor or coach that's only one step ahead of you. And then find someone that is about your same level kind of like a business bestie that you can talk to about where you're at. And then everyone else, just try to focus on those few people, not like drink the ocean by like going so many different places, but just like those few people, those two people, you know, and hopefully they're in the same kind of on the same path. So it's just helping grow you in that direction further. That's really, really helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I know the, the audience <laughs> sure. can take, take a lot away from that as well. Um, so I know we're running up on time in just a few minutes here. So just a couple more questions and we'll get into what I like to call the random round, which is a lot of fun. We'll open a random question generator and stuff. It'll be, it'll be a blast. Oh, really? Uh, but I was wondering if you could speak to your experience being a woman in data and if you have any words or advice of encouragement for the women in the audience who are breaking into or currently in data. Mm, that's really nice. I haven't had a job in a long time. I haven't worked in an employment as an employee, but I feel like women are pretty well represented in data these days. Maybe not. What I would say right now though, and this goes for men too. The thing is, is I know there's like issues with being a woman in tech and I've had my share of sexism and bias and like issues going on. But I tell you what, it's not all coming from men. It's also coming from other women. So it's really hard to break things down on a gender basis. I would say that females can be catty. Females can be competitive, just like men. And if you want to really come up and feel safe and feel nurtured and feel good in your day-to-day life, then surround yourself with people that are collaborative, that are looking to inspire and co-motivate and just like really focused on the positive because unless you want to be, which I think if you're listening to this, you don't want to be around super competitive people. There's a whole other camp of people, which I forget. I I can't believe they still exist, but of course it's a personality type that just want to cut each other down. And you're never, for me, if you're like me, you're not going to ever feel comfortable or safe or like you can express your creative self, which is important around those type of people. So like, you just have to draw boundaries and it doesn't matter. Like women are like this, but so are men. So it's like, I don't really feel like that really matters. Yeah. Like play positive, some games, right? Like you don't want to play the status game. The status game is the absolute worst type of game that you can play because for your status to go up, somebody else's status has to go down which intrinsically doesn't sound like a fun game to play. But if we can play games where we're creating more for each other, uh, that's 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 a winning game. Sorry. You're, you're... No, yeah, I'm with you on that. And the thing is, is that this what you're saying with someone's status going up in another person, that's all in the eyes of the beholder. Mm-hmm. That who's the judge? You, this is your life. And you're the one who gets to take your talents, your passions and create the impact that you want to. And there is no better than less than like, I remove myself from that game completely. And I really don't like to, like, I try and keep myself and it's hard with social media, not to compare, not to be like, I wish I was better, you know, seeing all these people, but it's like, that is ego. Right. And that is not where I want to like, that's not the magic for me. That's not where the magic's going to come from. No, hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. Like I just fundamentally don't want to play any status games. And and like you said, <laughs> it is all also a mental game that you're playing, but you know, your entire life is just a single person game that you're playing. Right. So might as well make yeah. the best of it. So last formal <laughs> question, then we'll go into a real fun random round. It's 100 years in the future. What do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for helping people 
inspiring people and motivating people to be brave and to step out into their own vision of what they want to create in this world with the data, the business that, that they giving people like, I want to be remembered that like I set a precedent that like something beyond the status quo is possible for you. And that some people were positively impacted by that. I absolutely love it. I I definitely know you are, if you haven't achieved that already, you're well on your way there. So (laughs) thank you for all your contributions. So let's go ahead. Let's jump into a random round. First question here is when do you think the first video to hit 1 trillion views on YouTube will happen? And what's that video going to be about? (laughs) Okay. I just, I'm pretty new to the YouTube game. I'm not in your generation. So you're a Z. Are you a Zoomer? Uh, well, I'm turning 38 this year. So I don't know. Oh, you're 38. Oh my gosh. You're like not them. Okay. We're pretty much the same. Yeah. You look very young. Okay. I dye my beard. If, believe it or not, dude, like my beard, like I, I dye it because otherwise it's just like, it's just feel better. White. It's like super white right here in the middle and then like <laughs> spotty all over. And I'm like, all right, until everything is white, then I'm just going to dye it. Yeah. Yeah. The white look is really cool. Yeah. When it gets there. Um, how many is the maximum video viewage today? Yeah. Yeah, so for reference, the most viewed video on YouTube is currently Baby Shark with eight and a half billion views. And then right after that, it is uh, Justin Bieber's Despacito. Okay, so I'm going to say at this rate, it's probably going to be something like, I mean, that's a big gap, eight million to a trillion. I think you're looking at like 2052 and I think it's going to be something that's a song or entertainment that is um, serving young people. Mm-hmm. But I think by then, I don't think that people will be by the time that comes. I don't know that people will be consumed consuming on YouTube. I think that by then it's going to be VR, AR in like holograph, like immersion experiences. I don't know that YouTube will ever get there. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing to think about. Like, just because it's it's been around for so long, we just assume that it's going to be around forever. But yeah, the future can be really different. Like, yeah, that's, that's giving me because they're coming about. out. I mean, you know, Facebook bought Oculus, yeah. and they're creating the thing where you can go to meetings as a hologram. So that's the next thing they're building is immersive experiences where like you and I could have our podcast, like literally in the same virtual room, seeing each other. So I think by then, I don't think they're going to hit 1 trillion because people are going to have better options. I like that. No, thank you so much for that. It's a a great perspective. (laughs) Give me something to think about. So what are you currently reading? (laughs) I, I jump around and I never finish one book. Unfortunately, it takes discipline and I'm not the most disciplined person, but I really love product managers, sacred seven. That's right. my favorite book right now. Yeah. Definitely it's a book on product management. I, I it's amazing. Actually. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to add that to the list. Um, I buy any book that I get recommended. I just buy, I've got like hundreds of books laying around the, wow, uh, really? I love reading. Yeah. It's hard. Cause it's like you read. Oh, a, t- a ton. Like I, I, what, I have a lot of authors on the podcast and I read their books entirety. I listen to the podcast and I, I just get really nitty gritty with my questions. Just, I think that's kind of, you know, separates what I do from any other data science podcast. But I also like you hop around with multiple books. Like for example, I have a weekly reading list this week and it is, um, and you know, I, I don't really care if I finish books or not either. Like I just, to me, I just, I want ideas in my head and I want them to collide with the other ideas in my head to produce new ideas. So it doesn't matter if I finish a book or not, as long as I've learned something new from it. But currently I've got whack on the side of the head, which is all about how to be more creative. I've got- uh, That sounds fun. It's really, really good book. I highly recommend it. Actually, that sounds really, really good because I sit around like after I'm not working, the thing I'm really upset about right now lately is that when I don't have to work, I get on my friggin' phone and yeah. I'm like, I don't know what to do when I'm not working, which is just not the way that I want to, that's not the person I want to be. So that book, I was thinking I needed something like that, something to like stimulate, like something besides work 
creative, yes. fun. This is this book is so good. It's so it's such a fun book to read as well because there's these little thought experiments that that are sprinkled throughout the book that are just really fun to do so i highly recommend that and uh, i won't go through my entire list but another one that i really enjoyed was this manga guide to regression analysis so it's a comic oh book yeah it's a comic book series they got a bunch of bunch of uh books like this they got one for calculus databases statistics physics awesome. the universe so i bought it's a like bunch the of new them. dummies guide yeah well these have actually been around since the late 90s early 2000s so I just learned about them. I bought a bunch of them and I just keep it in here. English. It's in English. Yeah, it's all in English. But they're yeah. from Jap. It's from Japan, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the manga guide. Yep. Ah, that looks cool. So I bought that a bunch of cartoon guides to statistics, economics and math and all that stuff. So when my kid, when he's old enough to read, yeah. wants a comic book, I'll be like, here, read this book about this comic book about databases. You'll enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> um so you're really a very a very cool person and it's like been i really enjoyed this conversation and i hope i need to after this call I'll follow up with you and figure out how you know how i can be more involved in what you're creating and also just your journey as you're growing as a data scientist absolutely and actually so i wanted to mention like as a not a social person, being not a social person and how do you take care of yourself and stuff like that when, you know, one of the other things that I'll also try and do is focus on like, okay, this isn't about like being of service really. It's just like, it's about being of service. So like how, me showing up isn't like people trying to, it's Instead of like focusing on how this is hard, something's hard for me and difficult and like I'm shy and all this, focus on what is it that I'm here to do and how can I be of service? And so like this podcast and your journey, like I want to support you in that. And like, that is my focus. That's what, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. So let's do, let's do a couple more fun questions and then we'll wrap it up. So I'm, also really interested because I love music and I always like listening to new music. So what are you currently listening to on repeat? Like what's the song that's either been just playing in your head constantly or that you're actually been listening to? Uh, my husband downloaded this song. We live in Thailand. There's no radio. Oh yeah. So there's no, like, no, it's, and it says something about you and me, we got our own time. We live on the, you and me, we live on the U.S. dollar, but we got our own sense of time. Oh, and I don't I like know that. who wrote it, but like for him, he's Russian. I'm American. We live in Thailand, both working for U.S., whatever. So, yeah, that one really strikes. Yeah, I'll Google up the lyrics and um, get that song. <laughs> What there's a there's a artist I really like based out of Thailand as well. He's he's a young kid. His name is uh, Phum P H U M Vipruit. I probably butchered his last name Phum Vipruit, and he's he's just got a singer songwriter. He's got this cool guitar. And uh, do you know uh, where he is? He's based out of I think Bangkok. I'll send you a link to his song. His song is really cool. Send me a link to him, and yeah. I will try and get you. Um, can do you want a CD or you already have all this stuff well, from I the just, internet? Yeah, I just listened to it on Spotify. But yeah, he just seems like a real uh, cool kid. I can yeah. send you a CD if you like. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Just right. tell me what it is, and I'll get our nanny to find it for me. Nice, nice. Thank you, thank you. Sure, right, that, my this, pleasure. this is this is the fun part now. So this we don't know what's. Oh gosh, <laughs> they're always fun questions. They're always fun questions. Mountains or ocean? Ocean. Yeah, same here. If you were a vegetable, what vegetable would you be? Carrot. Carrot, huh? Nice. And do you like carrot cake? I do, but for some reason, I've really liked carrots lately. They cook them here and they're kind of sweet, like candy, and they're yummy. Yeah. That's... What bends your mind every time you think about it? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um,. Oh, what bends my mind every time I think about it? Every time I think about what someone else is doing and how it probably seems in my brain, it seems like they're so much further along than me and how I'm so far behind and what I'm doing wrong. My brain gets all like, 
out of whack and it feels bended. Mm. Bent. Last one here. Who are some of your heroes? Wow. Heroes. Mm -hmm. God. God is my hero. I have a high spirituality. So like, I don't really, I love following other business owners, other entrepreneurs, people that are creating things, the data space, but like, I don't idolize anyone. The only, my hero, I guess, would be my daughter and my husband. Those are my two heroes. And then, you know, there's my, my God, you know, like, other than that, there's not really, no. (laughs) No, I dig it. No, that's perfect, man. That's, that's awesome. Uh, Lillian, thank you so much. Uh, for taking your time to be on this, to to come on the show and, and chat with me. Uh, how can people connect with you and where can they find you online? Ah, okay. Um, well, I know you're big on LinkedIn, so I'm have I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So that's one place. Uh, I do a lot of like I'm addicted to Instagram, so I'm on stories all the time. If you want to get like more personal behind the scenes sort of thing, it would be Instagram stories, and then. YouTube is where I give out three trainings once per week. I'll be sure to link to all of those platforms in the show notes so you guys can go and connect with Lillian and see what she's up to. Lillian, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be on the show. Really appreciate having you here. Thank you for having me, Harpreet.